This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for radio and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Ford Motor Company is ramping up production for its all-electric Lightning full-size pickup truck in light of increased consumer interest. We'll have more on that coming up. At the same time, Mercedes has introduced an all-electric concept vehicle with incredible range, and parts of its innovative body are made from landfill waste. Yes, you heard that right, landfill waste. We'll give you the amazing details on that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. He is at one end of the country. I am at another. What we have in common is we test cars. It is now... Uh, we're, we're deep into 2022, uh, CES is unfolding, all kinds of stuff, uh, uh, are going on and, uh, a lot to talk to you about. Um, this week we have a terrific guest for you. Uh, first I should say hello to Chris though, and let, <laughs> let you hear Chris's voice for a little bit. Hello, Jack. How are you? And I'm glad to be here and welcome to everyone. Uh, the first show of the, the new year here. Very excited. It is. I guess technically it's our second show because our first show was on uh, January 1. Uh, this is airing on January 8th and, uh, and beyond, but uh, right around there. And uh, our special guest is Lisa Bohr. She is senior manager of, the, of Global Automotive at J.D. Power. They conducted their Mobility Confidence Index study, and I will talk to her a bit about that because it's interesting what consumers think they know about autonomous vehicles and self-driving vehicles uh, and what they don't know. In the road test segment, Chris will be giving his thoughts on what particular vehicle, Chris? The 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland. Oh, what a nice vehicle. Uh, You're lucky to be driving that thing. My road test vehicle is the 2022 Ram 1500 Classic. This is a less expensive alternative to the Ram 1500. If that sounds confusing and complicated, I'll explain it in the road test segment that's coming up. Uh, And before we do that, we'll have some uh, of the latest automotive news, a chock full of news as this new year gets started. So, uh, along with Chris Teague, this is Jack D. Red with you. Thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. And uh, we will roll onward with uh, latest news coming up next, uh, including information about the F-150 Lightning and what Ford plans to do with that. So stay with us for that right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack D. Red back with you. It is latest news time. Boy, the year has started out with tons of news, and uh, we're going to be talking with you about a lot of it here on uh, America on the Road. I I guess the lead story is the fact that Ford is ramping up, and and pretty rapidly, their F-150 Lightning pickup truck production plans. They plan to build 150,000 vehicles per year at their Rouge Electric Vehicle Center. That's in Dearborn. That's a, that's a lot of electric pickup trucks, Chris. <laughs> What's your take on that? I agree it's a lot of electric pickup trucks, but it, it will not satisfy all the demand that they saw for the truck. They had almost 200,000 uh, 
reservations. So if all those orders convert or all those reservations convert to an order, even the expanded productions, they're still not going to meet all the all the units they need to ship in the first year. Yeah, it's interesting too. They they say the first wave of reservation holders uh, will be able to convert their reservations to orders. They're not even precisely orders yet. Uh, and that's how these things go too. A lot of people uh, have a tendency to reserve these vehicles and then bow out over time. So I'm not certain that how big the demand will be overall, but uh, certainly I, uh, I imagine that 150,000 uh, is not more than is necessary to, uh, to staunch the demand here. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. Uh, that strikes me as a lot of electric pickup trucks. And when people start seeing the uh, what these pickup trucks can do and cannot do, uh, maybe that'll change, but uh, maybe not. Yeah, you know, Ford had uh, a few vehicle rollouts last year. You know, they had the uh, Mustang Mach-E and the Bronco, and uh, both of those were delayed. And, you know, they're still both trying to catch up with their demand. So I think that this is a big a big opportunity for Ford to kind of get back on its feet with launching vehicles. And one thing I found was really interesting is that they gathered what they're calling a task force. So they grabbed people from several different functional areas and they're going to kind of go through the process and, and find more efficiency or be able to, you know, make things uh, more quickly. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what they come up with because they're still, they're still kind of learning as they go with this. So uh, I'm excited to see where they head. Yeah, it's a, a big challenge to pull together the parts you need to build more vehicles than you have contracted to make or the, that you have planned to make. I mean, that's the big challenge here. And uh, this is a doubling of production. They were going to build, obviously, 70, 75,000 and now uh, doubling to 150,000. So uh, it's a big change. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the truck looks looks to be a very compelling vehicle. So uh, I can't wait to drive one, you know, especially where it's priced. It's not insanely more expensive than the gas powered F-150. So uh, I think they're going to have a winner over time. It might take a little bit, though. Right. I mean, the advertising is certainly compelling. Uh, you know, the fact that you can power your house with this truck, at least for a uh, reasonably short period of time, is, is a compelling uh, sales feature, I think, in a lot of areas. So uh, we'll see how this... How this does again, the capabilities of the truck I think are going to um, tell a lot of the tale. I think most uh, buyers of full-size pickup trucks need capability. Whether they use it all the time is another question. But uh, we'll see how capable the Lightning is in terms of uh, its ability to haul and tow and uh, do other things that uh, the typical pickup truck does. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Another thing I can't wait to see is this all-electric concept car from Mercedes, the EQXX. This is a vehicle that the company says can go more than 600 miles on a single charge. And that just obviates uh, range anxiety right from the get-go. I mean, (laughs) nobody has to worry about range anxiety if you can go 600 miles on a charge. And uh, the, the thing about it is it is built with very innovative techniques. Uh, I mean, wildly innovative techniques. Uh, Mercedes says it intends for half of its sales to be electric cars by 2025. I mean, we're in the 2020, uh, we're in, uh, you know, 2022, 2023 model year vehicles are going to be rolling out very, very soon. So, uh, you know, we're close to 2025. I, I think that's a very ambitious sales goal, given all the investment Mercedes has in uh, internal combustion engines, among other things. What, what's your take on that, Chris? 
I agree. You know, it's a big investment, but I think Mercedes is doing, or at least appears to be heading down the right path. I mean, how many new electric vehicles and electric concepts have we seen from them uh, just in like the last 12 to 14 months? Uh, it's very impressive. So, uh, and the concepts they're rolling out, if they make them into production anywhere near the, the design and the feature set that they did in the concept uh, with those features, I should say, uh, they're going to be, we keep using that word compelling, but they're going to be a very, very tough uh, competitor in the segment. Yeah, I mean, let's roll back to this EQXX. Uh, it has this uh, just mind-blowing amount of range. Mercedes says its battery pack is half the size and 30% lighter than the one in the EQS, which is their brand new uh, and, and very leading-edge production electric vehicle, uh, kind of like the S-Class. Their efficiency on uh, electricity is uh, world-class, you know, much better than the Tesla Model S. And part of the reason is a very, very low drag coefficient. Uh, and then they use a lot of light weighting. Uh, not only is the battery pack light, but it has uh, magnesium wheels and aluminum brakes uh, and plastic springs. But here's the, here's the thing that I, I found most interesting is the, uh, a lot of the body is made from landfill waste, uh, I think that's it's interesting, but I one thing that I got out of this that was my favorite part of the whole thing is that uh, the leather, quote unquote, leather interior, the upholstery, uh, isn't actually leather. It's, a, it's they're calling it Milo, M Y L O, uh, which is actually uh, mushrooms. <laughs> so they've they've come up with a way to make leather out of the uh, sort of the root like uh, parts of a mushroom. It's really really cool. Well, I do that at home. And, uh, <laughs> maybe you, your kids did it in science class. I'm not sure. Uh, they also have the carpets made from bamboo fiber. So uh, nice natural products in this uh, uh, concept vehicle. It, it, we must mention it is a concept vehicle. And uh, here, here's the thing I, I found amusing about it, too. They want the voice control system to have personality. So it is modeled after Mercedes Jelinek, who's the daughter of Emil Jelinek, who was a, uh, one of the early customers of, of Daimler and resulted in the name Mercedes being used on Daimler cars. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Is it going to give you an attitude when you ask for directions in the car? What, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, very likely. <laughs> uh, actually, there's some Jelinex in my family, so uh, who knows? <laughs> and, and we certainly give attitude. Well, on, an, on another note, and uh, another technological note, uh, Stellantis has just announced that it is teaming with Amazon for a, its new digital cabin platform, the Smart Cockpit. That will start in 2024. So that is coming. That's one of the pieces of news that came out of CES recently. Um, they are also going to be selling a lot of vehicles to Amazon. Uh, maybe there's some kind of a trade-out versus uh, money-changing hands there. Uh, but they will have the ProMaster battery electric vehicle will go into the Amazon delivery fleet. Heaven knows we see plenty of ProMaster uh, and other vans uh, from Amazon running around our neighborhoods, don't we? <laughs> well, uh, we actually don't really have those many that many vans up here. I think everything comes through UPS, but I do know what you're talking about. A lot of people ask us what's going to happen with vehicle supply, and it kind of put a bullet hole through sales over the course of the last couple of months of 2021, and it looks as if it's still going to be challenging uh, as we start the new year. I'm 
What's your take on where we're going to see uh, production go in light of the chip shortage? <laughs> oh, geez. Well, if you look at the end of the year sales numbers, uh, General Motors in, in specific, uh, yesterday I was reviewing them. They actually ended up uh, recovering slightly. I won't say recovered. Uh, that's going to be a very light use of that word. Uh, Jack, I think it's, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, and I think that everyone is, is still kind of wondering this. Um, I do say, I will say that the automakers are now focusing on either producing the chips in, in-house for themselves, or they're working more, uh, working towards kind of safeguarding some of the supply chain issues. So I do think that they're going to be uh, less likely to be caught with their pants down and going forward in the new year. But uh, I think it's still going to take a while for production to recover. Yeah, I agree with you. It looks like we're going to see uh, several months more of uh, limited supply, and then supply will probably catch up. But uh, our our friends at J.D. Power are quite optimistic about what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of years. Tyson Jomini, who is Vice President of Data and Analytics at J.D. Power, uh, who's been on this show, is predicting a recovery similar to what, what happened after the Great Recession. IHS market expects U.S. sales to, to be about 15.5 million vehicles in 2022, which is a fairly optimistic forecast, uh, not the 17 million that we've seen in years past. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some vehicles, including the all-new Grand Cherokee. And I was driving kind of an interesting vehicle, I I think, uh, the 2022 Ram 1500 Classic. Not the Ram 1500, but the Ram 1500 Classic. I'll tell you the difference next, so stay with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Neerid, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Rad back with you. It is road test time. And man, do we have interesting vehicles for you this week. We always try to have interesting vehicles, but I think they're particularly interesting this week, including the all-new 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee that Chris Teague was driving. Chris, tell us a bit about it. Absolutely, Jack. So as you say, it's all new for 2022. Uh, this is the standard Grand Cherokee that I drove, not the Grand Cherokee L, which is also uh, brand new. That's a three-row model. Uh, the regular Grand Cherokee is just a two-row, only two-row, I guess, if you want to say that. Uh, the I drove the Overland trim, which is right around $55,000 to start. Uh, there are several trims to choose from, uh, starting with the Laredo trim, which is uh, right under forty grand, and then in topping out at the reserve, which is uh, well into the sixty thousand dollar range. So uh, you got a big price spectrum there, but you also have a big range of features uh, and finishes and, and options and things like that. So uh, the V six engine is standard; it's a three point six liter engine. But uh, my Overland was uh, optioned up with a five point seven liter V eight. It's a uh, three hundred fifty seven horsepower, three hundred ninety pound feet of torque, and it makes all the great V eight sounds. Uh, power hits all four wheels through an eight-speed automatic transmission. Um, the lower trim levels come standard with rear-wheel drive only, so you'd have to option uh, four-wheel drive in if that's something you needed. Um, the vehicle's riding on 20-inch wheels and a brand-new platform, which uh, is part of the underlying architecture of the car. And uh, man, this thing has a really smooth ride for a four-wheel drive SUV. Uh, and I think it's a, a great step forward for the Grand Cherokee. Jack, have you driven the new Grand Cherokee? And what are your thoughts on uh, ride quality and luxury? Yeah, I have driven it. In fact, I went to the launch. I drove the three-row in Michigan. And then I drove the uh, two-row Grand Cherokee more recently in Moab, Utah, both on and off-road. And again, the ride quality was exceptional. And its ability to go off-road was pretty amazing. In fact, if you go to driving today, 
day. You can see some pictures of it climbing the rocks outside Moab, uh, Utah. But great all around. I think they've. I think that's a absolute home run product. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I'm jealous that you got to drive it in Moab. However, we are due to get several inches of snow in the next couple of days. So I'm going to be able to put it through its paces, at least uh, in terms of uh, extreme weather. But um, as the Overland Trim, which is almost at the top of the line, it's just below the summit, as I said, uh, this thing is decked out inside and out with all the features and all the luxury that anyone could probably ever want, especially in a Jeep. Uh, the Overland comes with Napa leather, leather upholstery. It's perforated leather, uh, heated and ventilated front seats, heated second row seats, and uh Optional massage, which is just a seat back massage, so you don't get the the bottom like you would in like a Ford or a Lincoln, but uh, very nice seats, extremely comfortable, deep, nicely padded, and plenty of room for me to sit. I'm six feet tall, Jack, so I'm going to go ahead and throw that in here, um, but there's plenty of room for my daughter. Are you six feet seat. tall? I had never heard that before. <laughs> I'm shocked to hear that you're that tall. Yeah, uh, and there's plenty of headroom for people in both the front and second rows. Uh, the, the roof doesn't slope off dramatically. It stays nice and flat, uh, so you got plenty of room front and back. Uh, this vehicle has an optional head-up display, and Jeep does offer a, a giant touchscreen for the passengers, which is in front of the, the airbag there on the dash, but uh, mine did not come with that. Unfortunately, I was really looking forward to play with that. Uh, it's a 10.1-inch touchscreen up front. It runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And uh, it's funny that we talked about Stellantis providing uh, fleet software to Amazon because their brand new Uconnect 5 infotainment software is colorful, it's responsive, it's easy to use. Jack, what are your thoughts on uh, Uconnect? I think that it hits it out of the park. I think they do such a great job with Uconnect. It's, if not my favorite system, certainly one of my favorite infotainment uh, operating systems. They just do a great job. I agree. You know, like I said, I was really looking forward to playing with that, but uh, it's not in, in my test vehicle. Um, in any case, as you say, Uconnect 5, it's one of the best on the market. It's so easy to use that it reduces distraction while you're driving, which is one of the things that I've said about, uh, I also said it about Ford Sync 3 or Sync 4 now. Um, it's just a big benefit. Even if you don't care about the tech, it just makes it easier to use. Um, in any case, uh, my test vehicle came with a 19-speaker Macintosh uh, sound system, which is uh, by far the best stereo I've heard uh, in the last few years, maybe ever, uh, in a vehicle from the factory at least. And I think it's awesome. So uh, big kudos there. And Jeep added more safety equipment for 2022. So it hasn't been crash tested by IIHS or the NHTSA, but it now has standard automated uh, emergency braking with pedestrian detection, lane departure warnings, adaptive cruise control. Uh, and my test vehicle had also the option for blind spot monitoring rear cross traffic. So all around here, Jack, I think they've got a winner. Uh, my only complaints are uh, fuel economy, which is a little bit uh, thirsty with the V8 and maybe the price, but I think you do get what you pay for here. And it's, it's a lot. Yeah, and I think the fact that they have a V8 in this midsize uh, SUV, I mean, it kind of acts almost like a full-size SUV, and you might agree with that. But uh, the fact that they have the uh, V8 available and the towing of a V8 with that kind of power and torque, I think is another point in its favor. Absolutely. Well, I had another vehicle from Stellantis, and uh, uh, you might call it an oldie but a goodie, although it's it's uh, brand new, but at the same way, uh, what's old is new and new is old. I, I guess with the uh, 2022 Ram 1500 Classic, and I'm not speaking in tongues here, the fact of the matter is the Ram 1500 Classic is the previous edition of the Ram. So it is now being offered, and it has been offered over the course of the last several years, as the bargain-priced alternative 
to the current Ram 1500, not to be confused, although it certainly will be, with the Ram 1500 Classic uh, that I'm talking about. It was originally designed to be kind of a transition into the new uh, Ram 1500, allowing uh, the factory to keep running and building vehicles and supplying vehicles as they brought the new Ram 1500 on online. But it continues to sell, and so they've kept it around. Uh, so it is essentially the continuation of the 2018 model year Ram, uh, the previous generation, as I said. It's in its fourth model year. It's available in three trim levels. There are multiple cab types and three cargo box lengths. So this isn't uh, just a interim step anymore. This is something that ha- has some legs to it. Uh, what's your take on selling a vehicle when it has essentially been replaced with a newer vehicle of exactly the same type? <laughs> you know, I think you could probably try to fault Ram or Stellantis for you know, maybe getting more mileage out of an old platform or gouging people for money, but I don't think that's the case at all. You know, Apple does it with their iPhones. You can still go buy a brand new iPhone, whatever it was from several years ago. Uh, But, you know, the new Ram 1500 is a plush truck and it's got a plush price tag and not everybody wants to pay that, but you still get all the good truck stuff in a vehicle that, uh, you know, maybe look a little bit older and dated, but uh, is still quite capable. So uh, I think it's good. I think it's great. Yeah, I do too. And there's some really interesting things about it. It's available in three tra- trim levels, as I almost said. Uh, the Tradesman, the Express, and the Warlock. Wow, Warlock. All three are available as quad cab and crew cab. So those are essentially four doors of, of various types. Quad cab, a little uh, more compact four door. Uh, crew cab with a larger full-size four doors. And then it's also available as a regular cab, a two-door body style. Kind of the, the prototypical pickup truck configuration that's uh, rarer to find. So it's kind of interesting that it is available in that uh, configuration. One of the things about the 1500 Classic is its price. It is bargain priced. Uh, It has a base price in the regular cab configuration as a tradesman of right around $31,000. So uh, that certainly is a bargain in the the world of full-size pickup trucks these days. Maybe even the uh, bigger bargain is the uh, Express, which is uh, styled a a bit better, less work truck. And it costs about $33,000. It has Uconnect 3 with a touchscreen display, voice command, uh, and a six-speaker audio system, 17-inch alloy wheels. So it's it's pretty good looking. And then there is the Warlock, which has uh, attitude. It's a monochrome exterior paint, blacked-out trim, 20-inch wheels. It's kind of an interesting take on uh, the full-size pickup truck, uh, highly styled. One of the cool things, too, about the Ram 1500 Classic is the bargain price extends throughout. For instance, uh, the electronics, not all that uh, high high zoot or up-to-date in many of the vehicles, but it does offer an electronics group that has an 8.4-inch touchscreen and Uconnect 4C, so... Uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, you know, very, very modern kind of system. And it costs 800 bucks. So that shows how bargain price this is. It's offered uh, with two different engines. The venerable 3.6 liter V6 engine, 305 horsepower. And uh, the tester I had, 395 horsepower, 5.7 liter V8. Kind of a classic V8 powered pickup truck. Uh, Which of those do you think you would choose, Chris? 
<laughs> I'd always go for the V8, and you know, Ram does a good one. And uh, you know, if you're going to buy a pickup truck, you want the capability. I think the V8 here is is worth the fuel economy penalty and and the slight price increase. Yeah, I mean, this is a vehicle. I I hate to go with old tech, right? And uh, you're a new tech kind of person. Uh, you're probably renewing your iPhones all the time and doing that kind of thing. I kind of see a lot of value in this 1500 Classic. It isn't the newest tech. It's somewhat more rudimentary than the current Ram 1500, and yet it's certainly a very, very capable pickup truck, full-size pickup truck, and it's offered at a a pretty low price. I think there's a, a bargain to be had here. I agree. You know, you buy the pickup truck, you don't spend a ton of money on it so that you can, you know, you don't have to baby it and you really use it for what a truck is made to be used for. So uh, I'm on board with that. Yeah. So it's something we like. Uh, It doesn't have all the bells and whistles. It doesn't have all the newest safety tech, but uh, certainly the Ram 1500 Classic is worthy of a look. And absolutely the Jeep Grand Cherokee new for 2022 is more than worthy of a look. I think it's one of the best vehicles I've driven over the course of the last couple of years or so. And stay with us because we have an interview with Lisa Bohr, who is the senior manager of automotive at J.D. Power, talking about autonomous vehicles next. So stay with us for that. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road, Jackie Red with you. And we have a terrific guest for you. I think this is going to be an interesting segment. I'm, I'm convinced it will be. Lisa Bohr is Senior Manager of Global Automotive at J.D. Power. Really interesting study. You've been tracking uh, self-driving cars, automated cars, for quite a while now. And uh, recently, J.D. Power has changed up its Mobility Confidence Index study. And, uh, well, tell us what you found. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Jack. Um, It is a pleasure to be with you here to talk about the 2021 Mobility Confidence Index study. Um, You know, this, as you said, this is something that we've been working on and monitoring for some time. And um, we're very excited to be collaborating with MIT AVT, um, as well as PAVE in order to present this, this year's results. It's great to be able to continue watching consumer readiness for fully automated self-driving vehicles and, and the various applications in which um, they can be implemented for mobility solutions. So um, one of the things that, that this year's um, study results are showing us, though, is that we're seeing that consumers believe that they know more than than they may actually know about automated vehicles. So we're we're starting to see some deficiencies in consumer understanding. Yeah, it's really kind of fascinating, right? You would think that self-driving cars is is fairly self-evident. I mean, the car drives itself. You don't need to be involved in it. And yet uh, you're finding that a lot of people just don't grasp. Yeah, so we asked consumers to define a fully automated self-driving vehicle. and we provided them seven options and they ranged from you know the driver performing all of the tasks all the way to the system performing all of the driving tasks so um you know each of these descriptions correlates to you know what we in the industry know is the levels of sae driving and it's it's very telling to see that we have only 37% of respondents are accurately defining what a self a fully automated self-driving vehicle is and the majority of consumers are selecting options that 
describe lower levels of automation and these level two levels and um, features which are currently available in the industry today. Yeah, kind of stuff that we already see, like a blind spot monitoring with uh, assist and things like that, I would imagine is what you're talking about, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, one of the other things that we ask consumers to tell us is how much would you say you know about fully automated self-driving vehicles? So we're asking them to sort of self-report these self-rated levels of AV knowledge. And our findings are showing, though, that consumers who say they know nothing at all about AVs are actually more likely to select the correct definition of AVs. So we're seeing this this gap, right, between an actual the actual and perceived AV knowledge. Maybe it's because they don't overthink it, right? I mean, if they if you know you don't know and you hear something that says automated self-driving, you're probably able to identify that correctly. But if you think you know something about it, maybe not. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, when we when we look at those owners and consumers who do have advanced driver assistance technologies right now on their vehicles, we're we're finding that they're not getting the definition correct either. So, you know, this misunderstanding is prevalent among both users and non-users of ADAS systems. Well, then this can have an effect, right? I mean, if people don't understand this at, at, at all, they're less likely to buy those vehicles, I would imagine. You know, tell us a bit about that. What's, what's your take on what the knowledge means? Well, I think our, our concern is that this mismatch, you know, could really result with some consumer overconfidence um, and some un clear expectations as to what the technology is capable of doing. And so, you know, our hope is that through, you know, diverse and comprehensive educational efforts, we can close this gap. And and we really see uh, an opportunity for AV education to expand and, and embrace some different learning methods. And it's kind of interesting to me, too, that there has to be, uh, or I guess it's, it's uh, suggested, that there be some training on automated vehicles. One would think that, <laughs> that you don't need training for something that operates on its own. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so it's interesting because, um, you know, we don't really know what proper operation of a fully automated self-driving vehicle looks like at this point, right? Um, but But one of the things that we're pleased to see is that consumers are showing that they're very receptive to multiple learning methods. You know, we ask consumers to tell us what their learning preferences are in in order to operate a fully automated self-driving vehicle. And and we are pleased to see that, you know, more than half, 53% are are stating that they're willing and preferring a a driver's education course for self-driving vehicles. So that, that's a good thing. I guess uh, I, I was kind of interested to see that. And, and also discussion of a special driver's license for automated vehicles. One would think that uh, if the vehicle was automated, the, the last thing you need is a license. But uh, so expand on that a little bit, would you? Yeah. So um, we asked consumers if, you know, they would be willing to take a specialized automated vehicle driving course. And we have overwhelmingly the majority of consumers saying that there is a positive willingness to complete that training. So while we don't know exactly what that training would look like, right? Um, but but as an industry, this is a huge opportunity for ensuring that proper education 
is provided to consumers. And we we currently rely on our dealer network and user manuals and some very traditional learning methods. And while those provide support, those are not sufficient alone. And so we really need to find a way to ensure that AV education is expanded beyond these current traditional learning methods. Well, and it looks like from uh, the uh, results of the study that uh, a lot of people just are confused, you might say, or just uh, unclear on the concept of automated driving when they're thinking that, uh, well, for instance, uh, I I note here that uh, almost 20%, 19% of respondents believe that fully uh, automated self-driving vehicles are currently available, and they're not, right? I mean, (laughs) that's kind of a shortfall right there. What's your take on that? Exactly. So one of the things that we talk about is, you know, what is this future timeline for availability of automated vehicles look like? And, And in the Mobility Confidence Index study, we we want to understand, you know, what the consumer perspective is for the application of automated vehicles in different um, scenarios. And so we look at obviously the purchasing and leasing of private vehicles, but also the applications in public transportation, delivery services, and then taxi and ride hail services. So it's it's very interesting to see you know, as you quoted the statistic that 19% of, of our respondents are are believing that fully automated self-driving vehicles are actually available now. And so, you know, this is something that we obviously need to address. We need to be, um, as leaders in, in the industry, making sure that, that we are recognizing this responsibility for realistic timelines and expectations. Yeah, I mean, I was I was struck by the fact that uh, when you ask people about the various types of automated self-driving, one of the things that they seem most comfortable with was essentially delivery services, goods being transported commercially. I mean, that's because they're not involved in it, partly. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and they're, you know, despite the inaccuracy that we're seeing um, with personal vehicles, you know, we are seeing a correct awareness of automated vehicles, you know, that are, are available on the, the market now with these delivery services. So while these are very small uh, deployments that are targeted, we asked consumers to give us examples of what um, comes to mind when saying a fully automated self-driving vehicle and, and seeing some very clear mentions of delivery services and you know whether that's for pizza or groceries you know these are these are positive things that that these are correct definitions and a correct understanding of the technology yeah so that is good what are some of the takeaways you draw from this i mean we have seen i guess the the consumer attitudes towards self-driving vehicles increase a little bit kind of crawl forward uh point by point over the last several years but uh, still not over 50 percent what does this tell you about acceptance when these vehicles actually come to market well i think we have a long way to go you know the the good news is that we are seeing consumer readiness increasing. And yes, it's moving very slowly. But, you know, when we look at the uh, mobility confidence index overall, we're seeing increases, you know, year over year. Now, again, you know, as you said, we're seeing the highest levels of comfort with with the automation levels in uh, applications for transporting goods, as well as um, in applications for those who are unable to drive due to age or injury. So a lot of the benefits of this technology are are being 
heard and understood by consumers. But we're really at this critical point because we're in this neutral zone, right? We're seeing this this index is in a neutral stage of readiness, but we need to ensure that our messaging as an industry is correct and clear because as we continue to bring more products and higher levels of automation to market, we need to make sure consumers and their expectations are realistic. What would you recommend to a a car manufacturer right now uh, based on this information? Should they be charging ahead on automated driving? Uh, Maybe be a fast follower? Maybe taking a wait and see attitude? I mean, what, what would this tell uh, manufacturers? Well, you know, each manufacturer has their their target level of uh, deployment and development that they're working towards. And so that is, is specific to their targets and their goals of bringing products to market. But I think as we, you know, my, my advice is that we are messaging and being realistic with what the technology is capable of and what it means to an end user. Because ultimately, we need to ensure that the consumer understands how to utilize the, the technology safely, because we know that each each experience is built upon. And, and we want to make sure that technology is implemented safely and that it's understood. And, and what would you say to consumers uh, based on this study? You know, what should they be doing and what should they be looking for as we get closer and closer to uh, fully self-driving vehicles? Well, I mean, the, the main message, I, I mean, one of the things we want to ensure that consumers are aware of is that a fully automated self-driving vehicle is not available for um, purchase at this time. We have many different levels of automation and features that are coming. Um, These things, ultimately, the goal is to make a consumer's experience and life easier and to uh, ensure additional safety measures. So we need to be careful, cautious, utilize resources that are available in order to educate yourself. Yeah, and when do you think that uh, we're likely to see that in the marketplace? When, When can consumers actually go out, do you think, I mean, obviously this is an estimation, but you follow this, that we're going to see uh, fully automated self-driving vehicles available for consumer purchase? Well, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball for the the specific timeline, but I think we are a long way off for a fully automated self-driving vehicle and what exactly that looks like. And we have traditional OEMs are um, have a different trajectory of their development than, than companies that are solely working on AV development. And so it, it looks very different, um, those timelines, right, for, for different companies. So I think as a whole, though, we know that transportation needs will continue to change and we need to ensure we're, we're meeting consumers where they are, right? And ultimately providing useful and lasting solutions to transportation is, is the ultimate goal. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good way to sum up. Lisa Bohr, a Senior Manager of Global Automotive at J.D. Power, thanks so much for being with us. I, I really learned a lot. I enjoyed speaking with you. Well, thank you. And again, we're very excited to discuss our Mobility Confidence Index study today. My pleasure. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jackie Red back with you. And it is uh, our final segment of this week's show and our listener question segment. And here is a question that came from Manhattan Beach, California. Sandy in Manhattan Beach, California asked this question. How is the car supply right now? I see a lot of new cars in our neighborhood, 
But dealers nearby, like the Volkswagen dealer, don't seem to have many cars on their lots. What's going on? Uh, Well, that's because they don't have a lot of cars on their lot. Uh, I think what's happening, uh, among many other things, is that uh, people are buying or or ordering cars. So as soon as they get off, as soon as they leave the truck, basically, they're already spoken for. Uh, The supply chain is slowly recovering. Uh, I've heard signs, and I mentioned it in the previous segment earlier when we were talking news, that General Motors, you know, saw a bump of production at the end of the year slightly. So there are some signs that things are, are recovering, but not going to happen anytime in the next few months, maybe even not the next year. So uh, that's my take. But there's so many other things going on that we could probably spend three or four shows talking about it. Right. Do you think people are going to start ordering cars rather than buying from a dealer? I think as soon as supply uh, catches up with demand that we're going to revert to uh, where we've always been in the American car market. Well, I think it depends on the person and the type of the car. With electric vehicles becoming more popular, I think it's important to have a physical presence with the dealer so people can touch and feel and smell and use them. Uh, but I think there are a, a, a certain set of people, you know, myself, my wife included, who uh, enjoy ordering or, you know, kind of skipping a few steps in the buying process. Uh, it's just a lot less stressful and it's easier too. So I think there are only people who, who try to stick with that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. Uh, It would make the industry uh, more efficient if more cars were being ordered uh, and and built to order. But uh, I don't think that's really going to happen. I think even the new, uh, the startups have found that they really need vehicles for people to touch, smell, sit in, get excited about. And if they don't have that, they're not going to sell as many cars as if they're Uh, vehicles in stock. So I think that's what we're going to see going forward. Yeah, probably true. And uh, that's our show for this week. Chris, thanks so much for your stalwart co-hosting duties. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll say if you want to hear more and download our podcast, you can go to Sports Map Radio and check us out on the Saturday schedule. Our podcast directory is right there. You can follow us on Apple or the site directly. Right. In fact, we're available on all the major podcast outlets, Spotify and uh, iHeartRadio among them, uh, certainly Apple Podcasts. So check us out there and check us out again right here next week when we bring you another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking for driving information, you want to buy a new or used car, just care about cars, go to DrivingToday.com. That's DrivingToday.com, where there's a world of automotive information for you. It's the official automotive website of America on the Road, drivingtoday.com.